Hi, everyone, and welcome to Signature West Podcast. I'm your host, Sam West from Palm Springs, California. Today, my guest, Rusty John Carbo, had his own tale of things lost and life gained. But as the saying goes, we gain from our losses as much as we gain from our victories. Hi, Rusty. Hey, Sam. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, good. It's a beautiful day here in South Florida. I hope it's great where you are too. It is, it is. It's just uh, today, just for people that are uh, listening, it's November 4th. So it's a little uh, sketchy morning for most of us, uh, <laughs> but it is what it is. It is what it is. So thank you for being here and wanting to share your story. What um, I want to go back to the way you were raised. Um, you were raised in a very solid, faithful environment. Even after college, you still continued your life practice. Can you just cover that for us? Yeah, I was raised, I was born here in, in Fort Lauderdale in South Florida, but I was raised on the Georgia line in Suwannee County, which is a farming community. I'm one of seven kids. Um, I was adopted by my, my stepdad. I didn't really know my biological father. And my mom and my stepdad... Um, put us in church at a very early age. I always remember going to church on Sundays, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights when possible. And I think kind of more because it was like free daycare. You know, they didn't go to church so much with us as people, our neighbors and everybody took us to church. And I was introduced to the concept of God very early on in life. And I always had such a strong draw to the idea of God, to the idea of this uh, person, this thing, you know, always watching over me. And so I always found great comfort in that. And then when I graduated high school, um, I went to Bible college at Toccoa Falls College in, in Toccoa, Georgia, and I studied youth ministry. And then um, I became a youth pastor at, actually at the church. I was one of the churches I was raised in, First Baptist Church of Live Oak. I was an interim summer pastor. I was a summer youth counselor. And then I served as an interim uh, minister at another small church. And then as an associate pastor and youth pastor at a small church called Taylor Church outside of Jacksonville, Florida. And I always, uh, that was all before coming out. And um, I was always inspired by these young people and always wanted to be able to give something to them. You know, growing up in a farming community, um, we didn't really have a whole lot of resources. And so I right. just wanted to be able to, you know, be that inspiration for people. And that's the way that I found that opportunity. Were you, so you were one of seven. Were you the yeah. only one of the seven that had that, that yearning or was it pretty much throughout the upbringing of all of you guys or were you just like the odd one, the seven? Uh, no, uh, interestingly enough, I have two sisters that are very much involved in their churches. Um, out of the seven, I'm the only one that like actually pursued like um, anything close to being involved in an active ministry. Right. Um, but, but but we all still, you know, have a strong personal faith um, that I, the idea of what God is and how we were brought up has changed for some of us over time. Of you course, know, I'm 40, of course. 46 years old now, but. Of course. Um, yeah. Okay. So you, you like. Unlike most kids, or for very few, it's a very solid environment. Growing up, sounds like parents did a good job raising you, and siblings, you know, pretty much on the same path. And then there was a point where you start getting involved with addiction. Yeah, it was um, not too long after I came out. I, you know, I left the church. The church never asked me to leave. I left out of my own shame uh, for, you know, coming out as a gay man. What and, year was that? 
uh, gosh, that was in like 95, 96, maybe. Um, and when I came out, uh, I moved to, took a job and transferred, uh, working in in the pharmaceutical industry to, to, uh, central Florida to Tampa. And then, um, whenever I moved to Baltimore, um, I kind of, I went to Connecticut and then went to Baltimore and in Baltimore, I didn't really know anybody. And I had never, never lived in an urban downtown core before where as soon as you walked out your front door, it was like, hello world. You know, I grew up at the end of a dirt road. And (laughs) so the idea of, you know, your whole life is on display and that it was a community there just, uh, was a little confronting for me. Um, my partner at the time, the reason I moved to Baltimore, had a very high profile job and was all, there were always these social functions and he always had to work late. And I found myself socializing in the gay bars a lot. Right. And then that just led to drinking. And I had always had an affinity for sedatives, you know, pain pills and stuff, you know, working in the pharmaceutical industry and having Marfan syndrome, I had access to those. And it just one thing led to another. And it was a, a path that lasted for about 22 years for me. So during this 22 years, was the, the faith itself, did that just got concealed or did it get rejected? Um, I think it got concealed because oddly enough, um, you know, when I would get drunk um, and I would get, I would stay home and drink to the point of getting drunk. I, I wanted to black out. I wanted to go to sleep. I wanted the world to be put on pause. Right. And when that would happen for me, I would get in like this deeply spiritual state and I would go back to Googling, you know, trying to find music on YouTube or actually that was before YouTube it was on the internet by Michael W. Smith and by Stephen Curtis Chapman and by first call and these bands that I grew up listening to. Right. Um, and I would, you know, find myself bawling on the floor and pass out in tears. Um, and that was the way that many nights ended for me. Right. But then I would wake up the next morning and just go about my day, you know, try to trudge through as best I could. Right. And I think that part of that was, you know, I'm a big believer that addictions um, are a spiritual, are a, a physical manifestation of a spiritual affliction. I agree. Um, when we, we, when we let our lives get out of alignment and out of balance and, and, you know, we seek that thing to numb us. And um, I think that that's what happened for me. You know, I had this thing within me trying to express and trying to connect with the divine. And I was inhibiting that from happening. Because that's what we do. Yeah. That's what we do. And then comes the big event in January of 2016. Yeah, I had, um, I have always been very fortunate and very successful in setting myself up in spaces. Um, I uh, was running a law practice uh, uh, for a number of years here in South Florida, together with a um, property management firm. And I also had a clothing firm at the same time. And I had a disgruntled um, client who filed charges with the state for me. Um, I was investigated and then I got brought up on money laundering, grand theft, fraud charges. Um, and I was not in a position to defend myself. Actually, well, I got arrested. Were, were, they, were they accurate or were they false? Uh, they were false, um, they but they false. were accurate. They were, yeah, but they were accurate in the sense that I should have known better. 
Um, I'm a smart enough individual and educated enough that I should have known not to allow these things to happen. And had I been supervising my business to the standard that I should have been, had I not been addicted, had I been actually coming into work, there was about a four month period where, you know, I, I chose to stay home and get high and not go into work and not do things and allowed other people to do things, allowed my name to be stamped, rubber stamped on documents. And um, so, yeah, it was an interesting transition. And that's why I say many times that, you know, go, I went to rehab. I spent over a hundred thousand um, dollars out of my pocket going to rehab at three different places. I went to some of the best rehabs in the country. I went to Cumberland Heights in Nashville, Tennessee with country music stars. You know, I, I went to turning point here in South Florida and I could not Sam find it within myself to get sober. I would get back out and I would do good for a couple of weeks. And then it would just all come crashing down. Like the weight of the world was on top of me. And the reason that I think that that kept happening was I had created this inauthentic life for myself that I was living where I was chasing what other people's idea of happiness was for me. And I was judging myself against these uh, unrealistic standards of what it meant to be a successful gay man in America. And so I kept chasing all of those things and just building, you know, a bigger burial ground for myself. So what happened? What was the result of the January 2016 when the, the charges came, false or not? Or Yeah, well, I spent, um, I spent 349 days in the Broward County Jail. I was held so without you were convicted. Bond. No, I was not convicted. I was held pretrial. Um, and part of the reason I was held pretrial was I bonded out. And what did I do, Sam? I did I what I always do. I went right back to using. I uh, went right back to smoking crystal meth and I missed a court date. And so then the judge issued a bench warrant for me and he held me for 349 days in the Broward County Jail without bond. And um, he actually said to me in that hearing, he said, Mr. Carball, there's no amount of money in the world that's gonna save you from the, you know, the problem that you have created for yourself. So I'm gonna help you with that. Um, I was put in the psych ward. I was held in isolation for nine weeks. I was not allowed to be around other inmates. I, I was deemed to be both a danger to myself and others. I was based detoxing. On, based on what? Uh, I was detoxing. I was hearing and seeing things. Uh, I was acting erratically. Okay. Um, it was, it was um, you know, the thing about jail when you're in county lockup is that they give you just what's necessary to sustain life. They don't give you what's right. necessary to be comfortable. Um, but why was so, it so long? Why was it so many days? I mean, was that a, was that a sentence or was it just so? No, it was, uh, you know, waiting for trial, waiting to go for, to trial. That's um, a long time, isn't it? Yeah, because I had waived the right to a speedy trial. And why? so once you waive the right, then you just get, you're on, you're at the, at mercy. But why did you um, do that? Um, because I was waiting for evidence to come in and because I, the attorneys that I had hired at the time uh, had advised me to do that. Okay. So... so I uh, ultimately went to trial in October of 2018. Um, and I was uh, found not guilty on the lesser charges, uh, on the, all of the major charges. But then there was one lesser included charge of grand theft of less than $5,000. And on that count, uh, they found me guilty. The jury found me guilty. And so then I had to go back to jail and serve a six week sentence um, tied to that. And then I got put on probation for five years. So you went back for another six weeks. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, Sam, it was that first jail experience was really um, that 
that long, long, long period of time of being both in my room by myself, you know, in a cell with nobody else with me for nine weeks. Um, you know, that's longer than two months. And I, the only thing that I had to read were the items that the chaplain sent me. I wasn't even aware if my family knew where I was. I had no contact with my family at that point um, because you couldn't use the phone system to call out unless an account was set up for you. I didn't have an account. I didn't, it was just all interesting. I was allowed out of my cell for one hour a day into an open room um, to walk around. And then I was put back in my cell for the other 23 hours. Um, I, I want to, you wrote something that I want to, which is similar to what you just said. You wrote, I spent 349 days in jail, went to various rehabs, rehabs in three states and nothing but jail and the, re and the recopping worked for me. Why was, why was jail, why was that jail as the last rescue, which sounds really harsh? I'll tell you, it's, you know, I've been through, uh, a lot of psychological training. I've been in counseling all my life, but Sam, jail was the first place where I was honestly honest, raw with the counselors. Nova Southeastern University has a, a program where they send in uh, doctoral students into the jail for counseling and mental health therapy. And that was the first time in my life that I ever was honest about what I was feeling where, how things were showing up for me in the world. Um, you know, I had gone to these psychiatrists and therapists and all. And I, when I was doing that, I was just seeking medication. I would Google whatever the medication was I wanted. Right. I would Google what the, you know, the reasons for prescribing it were. And then I would display those symptoms in the room. So I was never getting help. I was only continuing to treat this thing. And I was never honest with myself, was never honest with anybody else. But in jail, Sam, I had nothing to lose. Everybody that was in there was in the same situation. We were all wearing the same clothes. Right. We were all eating the same food. There, I had nothing to lose. And that was the first time in my life that I had ever sat with myself, been honest with myself and been honest with another human being about who I was and what was happening in my mind and in my life. Fascinating. So take us, so you get out, you got out the first time after the 365 days and then how long were you free before you went back in again? Um, about six months. And six months. during that time, um, you know, I had dabbled intermittently um, with using again, because when I got out of jail after that long period of time, you know, all of my friends were gone or all the people that I thought were my friends, because what I had done was in that, that time period leading up to that, I had created this carefully curated group of people that I spent my time with right. that were all damaged. Um, and that was by design right. because if I was surrounded by damaged people, then me being in my mind only moderately damaged, that it's made comforting. me really look, it's yeah, it's exactly. It made yeah. me look really good, right. you know, in, right. the, the, in, in the group. Right. And I didn't have that when I got out. And so there was a, a, a period of a few months, six weeks to two months where I was using intermittently again. And honestly, um, the news of the passing of my biological father kind of shook me that a little bit. Uh, that happened in April of 2018 because my sober date is April. My complete sober date is April 21st, 2018. And, um, for me, I literally, I reached out to a friend on Facebook 
And I said, Hey, are you going to this? Are you still going to that spiritual center, that church that you go to? If you are, I'd like to go. And he said, yeah, I do, but I'm not going to be there this Sunday. I would encourage you to go anyway. Um, And so I did, I didn't have a car at the time I got out of jail. I had lost everything in the year that I was, you know, in jail. If you don't pay your lease on your cars, they kind of come and pick them up. If you don't pay your house payment, you lose the house. That's kind of the way it works. And so that's what happened for me. And in all of that happening, in losing all of that stuff, I found the ultimate freedom. I walked in a drizzling rain two miles to the Center for Spiritual Living in, here in um, Oakland Park. And that- So when you got out, when you, when you got out of, you're finally free and your first day back and everything is gone, basically, and there's no base, there's no foundation at this point. The friends are gone, uh, it's a brand new slate, yeah, I got out of jail and went to a halfway house. I was in a halfway house for the first month. Um, didn't have anything. I literally got out of jail with the clothes on my back. So, um, how do you plan for life at this point? How do you even get? <laughs> how do you even think straight? Or, you know, it's so daunting. Yeah, and, and that's why I say that you know, going to CSL, starting at CSL, and getting somewhat of a foundation um, built, and realigning, putting everything that happened to me in jail, and the conversations that I had with God in jail, and there were many, and they were um, intense. And you know, God literally—if I said that God physically appeared to me on multiple occasions in my jail cell. Um, I almost feel like that that's a reality. I understand that it happened in my mind and it happened in my heart, but I'm going to tell you, Sam, God said to me, you know, Rusty, are you going to believe what everybody else says that I am? Or are you going to believe who I show you that I am? And that resounded in my spirit so much that that's what I cling to. And that's where I, I find peace, you know, not at the bottom of a bottle anymore, not in the puff of a smoke that comes out of a, you know, a meth pipe. You know, I, when I start to feel those feelings that led me into using in the first place, I sit quietly and I'm just like, God, I, I give it to you, all of this stuff. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer than others, yes. but those, those feelings pass. They ultimately pass. So how long before you start to see the result in the practice and in the faith again, because you've already had it back as a child, but now you have to almost rewire yourself again? Yeah, I do. I, um, one of the things that was awesome for me is that, you know, the idea that God is this big, angry white man in the sky with, you know, a pitchfork right. in one hand and a lightning bolt in the right. other, just waiting for me to screw up. Right. God removed that idea from my head when I was in jail and showed me that that's not the truth. So that was um, the idea before that, that you had yeah, in mind going up? Yeah. Ah, okay. I got it. Yeah. You know, okay. I was, you know, this, I was raised to, you know, be afraid of God. God is this fearful right. thing right. when in truth, God is not that fearful thing. Right. Um, and it, it just, it, it shattered everything. And then the teachings of the center for spiritual living, um, also helped me to realize that, you know, those are our people's concepts and that in the back of all things is just one thing. We may call it by many different names, but it's, it's the same thing. You can call it Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, whatever you want to call it. All roads lead to that one place and they only can, that's the only option, the only possibility. So you started going back, going, you started the spiritual living, um, Mm -hmm. going into a little by little, 
and then what are the steps you, you have to start you're no longer 19 years old you're no longer you know 15 years old and there's no dad passed away the friends are gone and life is harder than it was as, as life gets hard we grow life gets harder every day so here you are you're faced with this sort of daunting picture where do you begin you would think that that would be how it showed up but it didn't i won't say that life necessarily got harder for me there were things that were challenging but what i kept finding is that right when i needed something that thing would show up for me it didn't always show up in the form that i thought it was going to show up in right but that whatever that need was that i had that need sam was always met amazing so, so you built your life little by little after yeah that. i got um you know I got a job. It wasn't the, you know, wasn't what I was doing before. Right. I got a job. I started building. I started saving. I bought a 2003 Saturn, um, you know, before I was driving a new infinity convertible <laughs> and, I, and I had right. a Mercedes SUV. Right. Um, so now I'm driving a 2003 stick shift Saturn with a leak in the sunroof. And I will tell you that I was so grateful for that car. Sure. I took care of it, you know, had it for a year, and then I gave it to somebody else who was in a similar situation that, uh, that I found myself in. Right. And through all of that, um, things just kept showing up. I had opportunities. I had to do some community service, and I had opportunities to, to do the community service at places that had given back to me. I used to get my food from a food bank um, when I got out of jail, and so I did my community service at that food bank here in South Florida, Pavarello. And then it, through doing that, food, that uh, community service, they offered me a job. Um, and I took it, uh, managing their online portfolio and high value assets. And I really appreciated that opportunity. And then when COVID came, um, you know, my life changed again and nice. I've reinvented myself again now in the fitness industry as a compliance officer and personal trainer, group trainer. And I'll tell you, the, the more that we ask for things to be revealed to us, the more and the more that we are willing to share the, the things that we know the more things will just show up for us. And again, it doesn't always show up like we thought it would. I never imagined that I would be in the fitness industry, right. not in a hundred million years. I was not athletic as a child. I was always told, you know, I was this small little kid and I always saw myself as this small little kid. Now I'm six foot three, 225. And I never saw myself as that person. And now I look at myself and I'm like, you know what? You, you are different than you were when you were a kid. And it's time to stop thinking like a child. You know, even the scriptures teach us that. Right, you know, when we right. were a child, we, we thought like a child. And now that we're grown up, let's think like an adult. And we have to reframe how we see ourselves and then how we present ourselves to others. And not to mention, you also found love. I did. I, um, I've been dating somebody for, uh, we've been off and on for two years and then we've been going on for four months now and he's on an amazing spiritual journey of his own. Um, and just, you know, he came here from Peru with nothing, literally got on an airplane and had nothing, slept on sidewalks, you know, walked and took the bus and really created in the last, you know, 20 years that he's been here in the States and he became a citizen, you know, he's built a flourishing interior design industry. And so we just share that knowing of knowing what we know. Did you guys meet uh, organically or did you guys meet from the, from the, some, from the same path? 
No, we met through Facebook, actually. He's, okay. he, he, I showed up on his feed one day. He started following me. He liked right. what I was posting about some of the Course in Miracles stuff that I was teaching and, and learning myself. Right. And um, we developed a friendship. And at the time, I was on um, house arrest as part of my probation. And so he had to come see me. And then that was a stressor for us. Um, and now that all of that is off, you know, we're going down a much different path and a much different existence with one another. Amazing. And, uh, you know, one thing I want to say, too, is that uh, I have found myself back in the Christian church, you know, after all, all of this path of where I, I've gone, my understanding of God is very different. My understanding of my relationship with Jesus is very right. different. Right. But um, it's kind of all come full circle. And now I get to share that with other people. And that's a pretty powerful place to be. It's, it's, a, it's an evolution. We evolve. Um, well, so yeah. And whatever it was, it's evolving and it's always going to evolve more. You're no longer the 19 year old that you were or the 20 year old that you were. So yeah, we all I, evolve. I think it's also important too that um, within the LGBT community, so many Christian churches are uh, tell you all these things about yourself. And then as we're, because we're young and we don't know any better, we believe those things. And then right. in, in believing those things, we allow those things to become the reality for us. And that's what happened for me. You know, I believed, I was told that I was going to go to hell because I was gay. And so my thought process was, well, if I'm going to go to hell, I might as well have a penthouse. I might as well have a good time, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and, and that's really not all true. I totally you know, hear not, you. <laughs> the idea of a great Christ, a gay Christian may seem a little bit oxymoronic, but I'm living proof that it is true. No, not at all. I don't think it is. Um, so I, I don't think it is. I think we're all work in progress and uh, uh, it, it takes a lot to, to come back. Absolutely. And the key, I'll tell you, the key to coming back is really... Uh, you know, my, in my previous existence, I surrounded myself with people who were worse off than me so that I would look better. And now I think completely different. I surround myself with people who are better, better. than me so that I can be inspired and so that I can be better. You can't learn how to play tennis by playing somebody worse than you. Right. You learn how to play tennis by playing somebody better than you. Right. I absolutely agree. Rusty, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, some people, it's not easy, but uh, I find comfort in hearing your story. To the audience, listeners, well, I hope this is found you. Yes, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, truth, the truth is just the truth. It's not all pretty, but it is the no, truth. No, it never is. Yeah, but to some people, <laughs> truth is not necessarily easy, especially when you're sharing you know, with the world. And um, uh, to some, it could be daunting. To Coming back from, from any... Uh, downfall um it's not necessarily easy for most people um to some it could be it's just depending on yeah. how we're made and we're all made differently so, yeah i think the key uh, is just to admit that you fell and that you need help getting back up right and one of the reasons i'm doing this is for your story to inspire others and hopefully somebody's listening right now can get inspired maybe in a similar situation or know somebody that is um, and it's given it back and hopefully for the ones that are listening, I hope this story inspired you. It definitely inspired me. Uh, Rusty, thank you so much. And, thank you so much, uh, Sam. All the best to you. All the best to you. <laughs> thank and, you and you as well. And to everybody else, uh, thank you for listening and please um, come back next week for a new episode. Until then, thank you so much. This is Sam West with Signature West Podcast. Till next time. Thank you again.